Welcome to No Instructions. I'm Bob. And I'm Josh. And we're back. Do you like what you're saying there? It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. Yeah. It's like uh, the old radio thing. Come back from a song, and the DJ would go, and we're back. But then they would have something more interesting to say after that, and I usually don't. Hmm. So maybe I should work on that a little bit. How's it going? It's going good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm hot. <laughs> it is unseasonably warm for Kentucky. Yes. I think for everywhere, though. That is true. I'm hot, and I'm tired. I'm tired a lot these days. Why are you so tired? I don't know. Are you lacking iron in your, your daily uh, It's possible. Diet? I don't know. I, I, I think the heat running in the morning, so I'm still on the running schedule trying to hit my 1,000 miles this year. And um, I think running first thing in the morning in the heat just kind of zaps me mm. for the day. You know, not for the day, I mean, but just don't feel like I have the energy throughout the day that I normally have. So. What time do you go run? Uh, it depends. Usually 7, 45, 8, something hmm. like that. Because the dog wakes me up at quarter to seven every morning like clockwork. It's kind of crazy. And I take her for a walk. And now that we have to contend with the buses, it's usually around like right at seven. Hmm. And I remember the last couple mornings, I went, it's a little cool out here. This is kind of nice. Hmm. And then the rest of the day is like 95. Yeah. And no wind. Yeah. It's just kind of melty, sticky, gross. Yeah. I mean, I I used to in Savannah when I was like training for races and stuff, I would get up at six. I had this couple years where I could get up at six, go run, come back, and then the kids were starting to get ready for school. And so I would have all that done before they even left. And that was really cool. I just can't do that anymore. I don't know if getting older makes it harder to. Anthony dropped something. And I don't know, like important. getting older has made it harder to get up in the morning or I'm just lazy. <laughs> Maybe it's that. That sounds like the more probable thing. But yeah, so now I get up as they're getting ready because they're old enough that I don't, we don't have to get them ready anymore, right. which is kind of cool, but weird. And so I get up just to say bye to them. And then once they leave, then it's like quiet and, you know, I do my stuff and then go for a run before work. So how has it been for you and Jenny since all the kids are at school during the day? I know that you're down here a majority of the time, but mm -hmm. what has she been doing with her time? Um, she's been volunteering at, there's a, a wildlife ref, refuge type, no, nah, nah, that's, that's the wrong word for it. I don't know what you call it. There's this lady that has a really big farm and a nice house and stuff, and she just like takes in injured animals. Sounds like a wildlife wildlife refuge to me i guess so but it's like mostly rehabilitation like a rehab kind facility? of they let the animals go or is it like yeah a... yeah they, they put them back out if they can some of them stay there a zoo which is like broke animals <laughs> yeah pretty much hmm. but it's it doesn't seem to be when i think of like wildlife refuge i think of we found this moose who like has a broken toe and we bring him in and i think of like big things this is all baby deer and raccoon right that's where my wife took the chipmunk that my dog tried yeah. to destroy so there's lots of baby squirrels and chipmunks and possums and raccoons and stuff anyway so she's been going out there and just helping feed you know bottle feed feed baby deer so that's adorable pretty cool and uh like she took this raccoon for a walk this raccoon lives there permanently can't control its legs so going for a walk must have been fun well it has a cart Oh, it's got a little wheelchair? It's got a little, like, four-wheel hmm. thing. It just kind of hangs in it, and its feet can touch the ground, but it just kind of, like, scratches at the ground and can't really... I guess it doesn't have the motor control that it should have. And so she just, like, pulls this cart, and this little raccoon <laughs> kind of acts like he's walking underneath it and touches the ground, you know, and helps it along, but just can't... And anyway, so when they feed this raccoon, they have a little high chair that they put it in, hmm. and... Or it sits in somebody's lap, and they have to hold its arms down. It's, it's oh, I guess they're arms. They're all legs. Whatever. It holds the top arms down because it has this involuntary arm movement thing, and it knocks its food over. Whoa. And so there's this. she has this picture of this person holding this raccoon with its arms down, and it's just like leaning forward, eating out of a bowl like a little kid. It's so weird. But, you know, they're taking care of these animals that can't take care of themselves. So she's been doing that some. And she ended up taking the kids out there on Saturday, and they all got to be climbed over by, like, ten raccoons at the same time and feed animals and stuff. 
And that's a pretty cool experience as a kid. It is. I would imagine. Like you, you see animals in movies and you see them outside, but rarely do you get to interact because they're skittish and they run off. Yeah. Or I mean, I mean there's the threat of them being rabid and you don't want right. to interact yeah. with them. Like I would never interact I personally would never interact with a raccoon or a possum in the wild. My wife is not that way. She sees a raccoon who might be hurt. She's like, I'm gonna go be friends with this thing and pick it up and take it to a place. Possums carry leprosy. Gross. Yeah. But yeah, they've gotten to, you know, hold these a couple of animals that they wouldn't, you know, mess with in the wild for that same reason. Um, and soccer season is about to start. Supposed to have started yesterday, but they canceled practice because it's too hot. That's smart. Which means they'll probably cancel it all week because it's not going to get any cooler. Yeah. But, so, last season in the spring. No, spring? Yeah, it was spring. My wife was... A assistant coach, mm-hmm. an assistant coach, correct my grammar there. She was an assistant coach for one team, which two of my kids were on. And then she ended up having to be a head coach for my youngest son's team. I remember talking to her about that. She was quite reluctant because yes. she felt like she was underqualified. And then I, I told her that I think she needs to meet her, her expectations of what the city thinks as a, air quotes, qualified person. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a warm body. You're not a sex offender? Like, <laughs> and you can stand? Yeah, warm body is, is kind of what they're I going think for. I you need to stand. No, yeah. you could absolutely do it from a chair. Yeah. Um, so this year, sign them all up for soccer again, except for my oldest. He decided not, he didn't want to do it this year. And long story short, she is now the head coach of two teams. Of course she is. And the assistant coach for one team. I think anybody that knows her is the not surprised. Oh, yeah, not at all. And it's simply well, because... I bet she signs up for snacks for all of the rest of the teams. She too. will absolutely pick up the slack for anything yep. that is still there, and all the other parents should be picking up the slack. Um, th- she does have a couple parents who have stepped up to like assist and to help out with practices, because she can't even physically be in all the places she needs to be to make that happen at the yep. same time. Two of the practices overlap by 30 minutes and stuff like that. She's just... She just doesn't want anybody to miss out. Because, you know, if they don't have enough people, don't have enough coaches, kids just don't get to play. I mean, mean, there's just not enough adults to help. And, like, the high school teams, I don't know how many high school teams there are, but there were zero coaches for high school teams. My high school soccer team that I was on didn't have a head coach. Well, this isn't the school team. This is... Oh, the high school age. Yeah, high school age recreational teams. teams. Got it. And so they ended up kind of talking... it's complicated, but the coach that she's assisting is a friend of ours. Our daughters are good friends and stuff. They talked him into becoming the high school coach for this one team, and to make that happen, he had to draft his 14-year-old son, who plays on the competitive league, back to the recreational league to be on this team. So now this kid's playing on two teams, and the dad is coaching, Wow. head coaching two, two or three, I don't know, whatever. It's just crazy, like... I, I totally get that not everybody's... I'm not a soccer coach. I couldn't do it. I don't know the game well enough. I don't know how to tell people to do better at stuff other than, say, do better at stuff. But it's amazing how many just empty spots there are in leadership around something that's you know for the kids to teach them. I think a lot of parents just go into it not realizing how much need there is there. And so somebody like Jenny, she's like, I don't want anybody not to be able to play. So I'm just going to... Be the coach. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do it. She's going to do it. I'm chauffeuring people. That's well, my job. Every time I coach something, it was that. None of the parents thought that they were qualified enough to do it. When, again, the qualifications are almost nothing. Yeah. Um, the older you get, you should know the sport so that you're, the kids are not shortchanged. Uh, yes. But for younger kids, like you're, you're trying to teach them to be kind to each other, to be good sportsmen, to be good members of a team. Uh, and to just run. Yeah. And in soccer, like, you can try to tell people to stay in their certain areas. You know, you're a wing, you're a forward, you're a defenseman, you're a whatever. But uh, watching it, depending on the age, they're all just going to huddle around the ball. Yeah, I think we're all past that for our kids. Our kids are, and even last year, were all in the positional, yep. you know, focused uh, playing. So... I agree with that, yes, but she also now is at a point where she's coaching kids who are looking to improve and looking to, 
you know, not just run around and burn off energy. They're actually looking to play soccer. And so she's having to figure that out. But, you know, I mean, at the same time, she's awesome because she's like trying to help out people and she's putting a lot on her own plate uh, just so other kids can get to play. That's we cool. ended up having one of our kids uh, or one of my like guy I knew at school, his dad ended up being like the de facto coach mm. when he wasn't really allowed to be the coach. He was just of like my high school team. Oh, wow. And he, he he spoke some English, but he was an awesome coach. But like the old redneck old man football coach who was technically our soccer coach would just like sit around and do nothing. And then Steve's dad was just the guy that became our, our head coach. Hmm. But like he would coach from the bleachers or like the, the stands. He couldn't be on the field. <laughs> It was wow. so weird. And then, like, the football coach guy was on the field and would try to, like, tell us to do stuff. And we would just stare at him and just do what we knew we needed to do anyway. Hmm. And we're like, you can legit phone this in. It's okay. Yeah. Like, just be quiet and sit there, old man. Hmm. I mean, that's a shame. But but at the same time, like, you got to play up. to people's strengths. I grew up in, in Florida, and football, was a, football and baseball were the sports. Yeah. Those were the good old boy sports. And soccer like no one cared about soccer like no one in the stands cared about soccer let alone anybody that would have any knowledge on how to play soccer like that was a, a latino and european sport that wasn't sports in america yeah we had 13 football coaches and then like one guy who i think probably drew a short straw that had to be the soccer coach <laughs> so i get it yeah i i mean overall we've really enjoyed them playing and so I'm, and I even missed it a little bit after last season ended. I missed like going, you know, watching them improve at something. That's all really cool, whether I'm into the sport or not. So it could have been the same kind of thing where like, you know, the parents maybe didn't understand the game or whatever, but they just enjoyed seeing, you know, kids enjoy it or get better at it. Yeah. So I did kind of miss it when the season was over, but now looking at this new season coming up and just the amount of it, it I don't mean for it to be selfish because I'm not doing the work. But I know the amount of work that Jenny's going to put into it because of who she is. Mm -hmm. And so I dread that a little bit for her because she gets really occupied with stuff when it comes to taking care of other people making sure everybody is prepared for and provided for. And it, whether she admits it or not, is really exhausting. And so, you know, like I said, I'm just going to be driving people to practices and making sure that everybody gets where they need to get. She's on the field trying to wrangle... We'll see. Three teams worth of 15 kids. <laughs> the, all those personalities into some directed force mm. to do a thing together. So, you know, but it'll be cool either way. Um, My wife is having a similar, I think, struggle. I'll say struggle. Uh, she's now the community director of our homeschool communities for like the entire town. So she's the, I'd say she's the principal, sure, of this homeschool community. And the they, superintendent? Yeah. But she also has to teach mm. <laughs> because she couldn't find a teacher. So it's the older kind of middle school age kids. So not only this entire summer has she been planning the entire year's activities, trying to coordinate with the facility that they're going to be in, how to try to make um, COVID precautions. Mm. She's been so busy this summer making sure that everybody has everything that they need to be successful and trying to find another teacher and she couldn't find one. So now she has to prepare for the school year as a teacher and as well as an administrator. And so she's the end of the day, like that's her time to go prepare and like get work done. Yeah. And so I don't see her as much, but I know that she's doing amazingly good things for people who are not me. And you talk about being selfish, like a little bit of me is, is, whiny because i'm being selfish but i'm you think about the good that they're doing for other people right yeah. because our wives are amazing they just do that and they're extremely thorough and the amount of work that i think both of them are putting in is super admirable all the while being jealous that they're not hanging out <laughs> yeah. with us yeah, but what about yeah. me <laughs> yeah i will speak her praises all day long and then go well, yeah but i mean I just want to cuddle. I mean, I, you know, that's a it's a slightly selfish thing to say, but it's also absolutely legitimate. The commitment of marriage is is, is preferential, 
right? I mean, like we are the most important thing to the other one. And that doesn't go away or whatever because they're busy. I'm not saying that in any way. It's just, it's it's like okay to feel that way, to feel I want to be with the person that I committed to be with. I want to spend as much time with them mm-hmm. or in as many different ways. And, you know, obviously you, you don't want to put yourself ahead of everybody else. But, like, feeling that on occasion I don't think is a bad thing. I think, it's a good I thing. think it would be bad if, <laughs> if you're like, you finally. didn't feel that way. <laughs> oh, she's busy. I can do whatever I want. Finally, no more cuddling. Yeah. That would be bad. Which is weird because now that, like, in the evenings if she's down in the office doing things... It's like, it's my chance to, like, watch whatever show <laughs> that, like, I knew she wouldn't watch. And we only have a little bit of time during yep. the day to actually take in say. a show. Yep. What has been your go-to all-by-yourself show? I don't have one because everything I want to watch, I go, oh, yeah, but I don't want to watch it without her. She's going to end up when I watch it. And then, like, it, like when she was in Florida and I was home for a week, I'm like, yep. sweet, same thing. This is my time to... I'm going to watch all the movies that nobody ever wants to watch with me. Couldn't think of a single one. I sat there for two hours, like, flipping through Amazon, looking for movies. And I'm like, yeah, I saw that, saw that, saw that, you know. And all the stuff that I hadn't seen, I wanted to watch with her or with the kids. So, yeah. Yeah, season two of Ted Lasso Oh, I haven't started out. that yet. Yeah, we probably got two episodes into it. Mm. And then, like, she's been busy. Oh! So, and then it doesn't... It's not all there. They slow leak it. And I don't know right. what day it comes out, so it's not usually on the forefront. But when she does, like, when she usually will come up, and if I'm not already asleep on the couch waiting for her, we're trying to get through Modern Family. We're so close to being done with Modern Family. Nice. That everything else we kind of forget about. I don't know if there's a show that, like, I watch that she doesn't either know about or doesn't care about. Well, I there probably were some that I would watch without her, but we're not apart enough for me to start another show and keep yeah. up with it. You know what I mean? It's, so I, I kind of haven't. There's a show on Hulu about that white rapper that David talked about one time. Dave? I think it's called oh, Dave. Oh, yeah, it's called Dave. Yeah, I watched Dave. That's not a bad show. I mean, it's like it's not not a wholesome show, but it's a pretty good show. Hmm. I don't think she's ever watched it, and I don't know if I finished it because <laughs> I fall asleep. <laughs> you fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, the dog comes and cuddles up next to me on the couch, and we wait there patiently for Mama to be done, and we're done. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Uh, just... But I am extremely proud of her. And it sounds like a whiny husband thing because we're whiny husband. But I, when she was deciding whether or not she wanted to actually become the director of this homeschool group on top of teaching classes um, online to Chinese kids in the morning, like she's constantly busy and homeschooling our own three wild children. Uh, she was on the fence whether or not she wanted to do it. And I looked at her like, of course you're going to do it. Yeah. Like, you're the perfect person for it. You're going to constantly think about it. You have everyone's best intentions and their their goals in mind. You lead with love. Like, what is it about it that you don't want to do? Because if it's the workload, like, you're, you're always going to be busy. And so you're either going to constantly think about it or you can just do it and know that it's done right and know that it's done diligently. You can't get it out of your head, so you might as well just do it. Yeah. I think one of the things that, and I'm sure this is the case with Tiffany as well, one of the things about Jenny taking on new things like that, I'm always confident that she is competent. She's capable of doing all these things. She's Whether she thinks she's a good coach or not, she's going to be a good coach. But she also has a tendency to never let go of something that she has taken on responsibility for. So is hmm. Tiffany the same way where because she's now the director and she has these responsibilities, w- would she, if someone came along who was capable of doing it at least as well, would she be a person who would be willing to let somebody else have it? Or is she just feel now going to feel responsible for that position and for that workload? Well, I think it may be a little bit different because she <clears throat> is the administrator. So it's her job to facilitate all of the things. But when there was an opening, because she couldn't find a teacher, she went, I'm going to have to do it Hmm. rather than going to like, imagine if she were the, the city soccer official going to Jenny and begging her, begging all the other parents to do it. And all the other parents kept saying, no, that soccer official is not going to be the one to step up and coach the team. Right. She's the one that goes, well, we need a need. I can't find a need without, 
using some tactics that other directors in other places were like, well, just tell them like, if I can't find a thing, we're not having it. Boom. Yeah. And like make an ultimatum. And she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. So she's just going to bite the bullet and make it happen. And it's, that's something I've always loved about her is that she, regardless of the task, like she's had so many weird jobs and weird little things that she has taken an interest in. And She's fantastic at all of them. And it's almost frustrating that she can just be good and diligent and honest and studious and all of those, like, employer words, regardless of what the task is. Whether she has a passion for it or not. Hmm. Like, if her name is attached to it and it needs to get done, it's going to be done better than you think it's going to be. And when she's done, she can move on and she'll fill that void with something else that will just as equally get done above standard and so with this thing now on her plate like she is she's the boss lady she has to get that done or she has to figure out how to get it done and she's very good at delegating and organizing but ultimately she knows that it's on her and i think she really likes that responsibility Hmm. because she wants the place to succeed and i guess the position to ensure that on average, most things succeed is where she is rather than her one little class or her one little whatever. She's now put at the head of it to make sure everybody succeeds. And that's where she thrives at. Like, it's it's kind of insane. Hmm. We should hire both of our wives <laughs> so that they can just not do all that other stuff and then we can hang out with him. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So that's what she's been doing, I guess. Uh, it, it's also, you know, weird... Back to the original question of the kids being gone uh, to school. It's weird. It's quiet. Yeah. And being home for almost two years, year and a half, uh, through the summer and through the school year, just, you know, a certain level of noise is just always there. And then when they're gone in the morning, it's like real quiet. <laughs> it gives me the little bits of, uh, you know, empty nest thoughts. I'm like, man, this is going to be like this all the time. When they're all old enough and they leave. That's weird, you know, but... Okay, this could be a fun topic. <clears throat> okay. The the thought of being empty nesters. Have you guys talked about that? Mm. Not really. Um, a couple, Like, maybe... When was this? Maybe two months ago or something? We decided one night... We just... We're always with the kids. Like, we don't, we don't really go on dates as often as we should. We don't really, if we're home, we're just kind of in the same space, whether they're doing something else or whatever, but we're always there. And that stems from them being younger and us needing to, for their safety, to be around. They're getting older. And so like us leaving them at home is not quite as big of a deal, especially like go for a walk in the neighborhood. Right. So super long way to say, a couple months ago, we were like, we should go for a walk, just the two of us. You know, in the neighborhood, not far away, but we're just going to leave. We're going to tell them we're leaving, but we're just going to leave. And we'll say, we'll be back in a little while. So we go for this, like, nice long walk. Got to talk. Weren't interrupted. Didn't have to answer questions. Super nice. And so then we started going on walks every night. Nice. And we haven't been able to do it every night, but for the past couple months, we've consistently gone for walks and as soon as we walk out the door she grabs my hand we hold hands the whole time but halfway through she's oh, like all right we gotta guys. we gotta switch hands my hand's getting tired <laughs> you know so like it's it's this weird little we've carved out a small 10 15 minutes in the evenings to enjoy outside and go for walks the thing that's weird about that in regard to like the empty nest thing is that i have thought while we've been walking oh like when the kids are gone we can do this anytime we want to and i'm like not worth it <laughs> Not worth it? Not worth it. I mean, it's worth it, but, like, we can do this now with the kids home. And then when I think about, like, looking forward to anything because the kids have moved out of the house, I'm like, no, no. I know it's inevitable. I can't stop it. I get it, but I do not want to wish away oh, the, like, the time of, like, The you know, thought is not worth yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's, I it's, thought you were meaning, like, when the kids are away, if you guys went for a walk, the no, walk no, itself No, 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 okay. It's not worth looking ahead at, like, oh, what will we get to do when they're gone? Because they're not gone. And it's going to happen so quickly. My oldest is almost 14. Yep. That is, that means in the time that we've lived in Kentucky, in that time again, he will be leaving the house. 
Theoretically. Theoretically, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But, I mean, that's crazy. And that puts, thinking about, like, in real dates and real year numbers that are not that far away, it makes that, like, a lot more present, a lot more now. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the summers that we have as with him as a kid uh, at home, to go do things, uh, there's there's not many of them left. So anyway, I, I caught myself thinking like, oh well, what else can we do when the kids are gone? I'm like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to spend any time here. I don't want to think about that because at some point, that's all we're gonna have, and yeah. that's when we can figure out what we're gonna do, you know, uh, with those those free hours. And we'll take walks and we'll go do all sorts of fun stuff and make the kids jealous that we didn't do when they were young and all that. But, um. Yeah, so we haven't really talked about the empty nest thing, but I kind of felt it as we started going on these walks a little bit. What about you? Have you guys talked about that? Yep. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I love my kids, but yep. Like, how how much time did you have just Bob and Jenny before you guys had kids? Mm, just over five years. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. I think we might have had the same... It's six years. But during that time, like, our life at that time was very busy, and we were traveling all over the place. I was in the Army. Tiff was in college. Like, we had globe-trotted and got to spend a whole bunch of time just husband and wife for the longest time. And so we have a lot of really fond memories of just being husband and wife. And it doesn't detract from the fact that we're parents now, but those conversations about being empty nesters... It's like, oh, yeah, we could have the freedom to just pick up and go and do whatever we want to. And when the kids are getting older, like, that freedom is afforded now, which is quite nice. And the older that they get, it just becomes, I would imagine, not financially, but, like, just easier as humans. Yeah. We don't need to pack as much stuff, which we really don't now anyway. But we seem to come back to um, Europe because that was like such a formative moment in our our marriage and our lives that everything was so new and so fresh and crazy and it was so much fun and something that I would I would take my kids to live in Europe with us but we talk about owning a and b in Normandy and that's something that like that would be our retirement plan hmm. and I think like a lot of people like will peruse Zillow as like a little oh yeah like, gluttonous hobby. Yeah. yeah. Tiff found a I think I talked about this. Tiff found a website that you can peruse French chateaus. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And this one had a moat. <laughs> and I did the math and I'm like, yeah, we could do that. We could totally have that house and rent it out, rent out all big sections of it as a and b because we did that a couple of times. Anytime we would go to Normandy from where we lived in Belgium, we would stay in little bed and breakfast areas and people spoke only French and it was just quaint and awesome. And we could cater to English people. We could cater to Americans. We could cater to whoever. But like that's why Tiff started taking French class again. Is hmm. She wanted to prepare herself. She wanted to better herself first and foremost, but she wanted to kind of set herself up that if that were a real thing one day, she could be somewhat prepared. Hmm. And I've kind of just not jumped all the way into that notion because it's such like a pie in the sky, like way off in the distance. But like you're saying, it's not that way off in the distance. <laughs> yeah, it's really not. And so not that the day that the last kid moves out, we're going to, you know, sell the house and move off to coastal France. That'd be pretty dope. <laughs> So it's not like a calendar is marked, but right. usually if we're out on dates when it's just the two of us, we can speak about just the two of us things. We can hmm. we can forego being parents for this small amount of time and either reminisce or try to you know fantasize about what the future would be if it was just the two of us and our everybody's taken care of, everybody is okay in their own light, we're not needed like you're saying constantly. What would we choose to do? Hmm. Because her entire career right now is being their teacher. And one day, she's going to work herself out of a job. Right. And 
like Jenny, I want her to fill her time with something meaningful. And I'm sure that she has zero problem doing that. But I mean, I I think you guys have probably had the same conversation. Like if it's a part-time job, if it's some kind of thing to, to fill that time, like what would you want to do? And it's always come back to like, well, not only would she want to do it, like we want to do it. Hmm. We want to go move to Europe and open a bed and breakfast. And it would be great. Hmm. So that's always been our emptiness, little uh, pie in the sky thing to try to work toward one day. But, you know, who knows what life has in store for anybody. Yeah. But if we could have any kind of control over it, which we don't, that's what we would like to do. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I... I tried not to think of myself as a midlife person, but I am. I'm, I'm right at that line of midlife. And <clears throat> I... There's a, there's a weird spot. And, and we're not that different in age, you and I. Right. But I'm, I think, just old enough, older enough than you that... And I could be completely off base here. That... The midlife thing and the uh, looking down the short end of the hallway instead of the long end of the hallway, like, it comes up more. And I try not to be, you know, pessimistic about, like, how many days we have left and how many years we have left with, with the kids or just in life in general and that type of thing. But it is always in the back of my mind. And I was talking to my daughter about this yesterday. She was saying, not that part of it, but she's busy, like we've talked about. She does all sorts of things. She's gymnastics. She plays soccer. She's, like, taking band and chorus this year, of course. Um, Still getting 100s on everything at school. But she was saying how she wishes that there were more days of the week. And I was like, baby, you get that from me because I hate the fact that we have to sleep. It drives me crazy that we have to sleep. We should not have to sleep a third of our day. Like, the, the math there does not make sense. I mean, it does, but, you know, I, I just, that's always bothered me because then, especially at this point in my life where I'm looking at, like, all of the things, I'm surrounded by instruments in this room, all the music that has not been made, hmm. because it's not a priority, because other things are, like, I understand that, but there is a limited amount of time that we have to do all the things that we want to do. And it, that doesn't scare me. So I don't mean it like that, but it frustrates me Hmm. that the list of things that I would love to try or accomplish or be good at, or, you know, whatever. I mean, like going to Europe and living in Europe, that's never even crossed my mind. Not because I wouldn't want to, but just because it doesn't fit within, like, I've got this much left, whatever this is. Yeah. And, like, there's probably not going to be time for me to just pick up and move to another country in that time. It'd be awesome. But it's not one of the big priorities. So I'm, like, trying to cram in the Tetris blocks of my interest into the remaining amount of time that I have, which I don't even know what that time is. So right. it's, I don't know. It's a weird frustration. So I don't think I'm having a midlife crisis. <laughs> I don't think it's that. No. But I think it is some sort of, like, over the past maybe five or six years, realization of and frustration about the passing of time, you know? And I think when I think specifically about the kids and, like, looking at my oldest and, you know, saying four years, like, he's moving out. Like, my brother just took his kid, his oldest, to college. Yep. I'm like, that's that's right around the corner for us, and that seems so weird. Um, you know, so I want to make the most of that time that I have with him, as well as the other ones, as well as... Jenny and I going on as many walks as possible and doing the things that, you know, we want to do and letting her have the freedom to do the things that she wants to do and the time that we all have. And I don't know. It's just weird. It's, it's, I think in my younger years, it was super easy for me to just live the days and not think so much about the passing of time and what wasn't being done and just focus on what I was doing in the moment. Mm -hmm. And now I have this slightly broader view of not only what I'm doing right now, but what I'm trying to prepare for and what I haven't gotten to yet and the things that I may never get to just because there's just just not going to be enough time. I mean, like, I would love to learn sign language. I don't need to. (laughs) And I won't probably ever make it a priority. But I think there's a bunch of things like that. Right. Well, I think this place has kind of jarred me from that day-to-day mindset 
too, because I had that for you mean, the, like the in longest Kentucky? time. Yeah, like the immediacy of what I have to do, the short-termness of all of it. Hmm. And then coming here, and now as of March, uh, this town has been the place that we have lived longer than any other place that we've ever lived. Hmm. And so that thought that I have to slow down and I have to try to think forward farther has allowed me to maybe not put mm, not put like an, an age context onto it or like the hallway metaphor that you used. But it's I have the, the this list of things that I would like to accomplish that is in like the medium term and then something that would be a thing that I think would be cool in the long term. And then try to make incremental steps toward those rather than trying to rush and get everything done at once. Yeah. Right. So the the Normandy thing, yeah, it's it's a pie in the sky, but we have looked at like, okay, well, how can we actually do that when the time comes? And the the concept that you were mentioning about, you know, you never know when you're gonna get around to doing something that you wanted to do. That was me at Lockheed. Hmm. Uh I had goals, but the goals were not aligned with my professional career, which a lot of, I think, as husbands and, and men, our short-term goals, our long-term goals are heavily influenced by what we do for a living. There, I didn't like my job. I couldn't take my job home. So as soon as I clocked out and I was done and I left the base, uh, it was strange for me because I was so used to having so much of my professional life be all-consuming, and it wasn't. So then I went, well, what do I want to be doing? And so it was a weird, like, work was such a small, compartmentalized, but very important part. It gave me the freedom to think about what I would rather be doing, you know, making those memories with my family, going to do something I think is fun, going to a place I've never been. But then I couldn't because work said no. Hmm. And so the smallest kind of importance or the smallest thing, not importance, but like the smallest part of my life that work became, became the most hindering. Yeah, and so in the way of life, yeah. Yeah. And so it was it was weird like if I were more busy, I probably wouldn't have been so annoyed that work was so restrictive. Huh. Because it was it shrunk in importance. The whole world became important. But then they kept a very short leash cuz you only know, had so many vacation days, you know, they couldn't do this, you couldn't do whatever. Like and I thought the military would be that way, but I, it was all consuming and I got to go do crazy stuff and I got to go to a lot of places so it was in that respect kind of the best of both worlds to where a job I didn't like made me think about stuff I wanted to be doing but then wouldn't let me do it right so now uh, I mean I am actively engaged I love what it is that we're doing we have things that are longer reaching than the immediacy so like all those things are fantastic so I have that best of both world Venn diagram to where I want to go do stuff I have the availability to go do stuff, but I also want to be doing work because that's just as fulfilling also. Hmm. But this place doesn't have the like, oh, at this date, it's my retirement date. We're going to get our gold <laughs> yeah. watching or whatever. Yep. So in the midlife kind of uh, context of that whole thing, I haven't thought about that because there is no planned stop time. Yeah. So I can't backtrack from that stop time to actually conceptualize where I am halfway. I don't know when I'm going to die, so I don't think about it. I don't know when I'm going to retire, so I don't plan for that. (laughs) I imagine that one day I'm going to be here, and then the next day I'll be in Normandy in a bed and breakfast. (laughs) How that works itself out, I don't know. Yeah. But the, the notion of, like, I'm interested in a thing and I want to learn about the thing, like, this environment is perfect because we constantly have stuff that we're interested in and we can pursue those interests Mm -hmm. how to make money off of that is is the rub but like learning sign language like you want to learn italian you want to learn sign language you want to learn all those things like that's the time of day frustration i think not the lot in life or the position in life frustration yeah because the position in life frustration we had at lockheed we ended up just I looked at everybody around me, all of the people that were nearing retirement age, and I had a couple people that were disgruntled, a couple people that were sage-like, and a couple people who just were on autopilot. And I remember my old manager, she was like, I'm ready to retire. She says, because my husband and I have been wanting to travel and do all these things that we've wanted to do our whole life, but I just couldn't. 
And so she had to wait till she was 65 to start doing the things that she Ugh. like wanted to do. Yeah. That's... And as soon as she retired, dude, I'm not lying. Uh, it was three or four months later, her husband died. <sighs> so then I look back and I'm like, you left this job on a Monday. You retired, you walked out, you had your face cake, you're gone. On Tuesday, they forgot about you. Hmm. Like you are not as important as your work as you think you are. And that may sound bad, but in the... What I guess I'm trying to convey is that letting your professional life dictate what you dictate your your dreams or when you can go do a thing, which I know is a, is coming from a place of privilege. Yeah. But man, if you left your job right now, there would be some people that would be sad and then the company, depending on what it is that you do, will move on from you. As if you didn't exist. Some younger, quippier Ladder climber is going to undo all of the stuff that you did. So if faced with a position of, I need to stay here because my position and my influence is so important that they couldn't do blank without me, that's not right. That's wrong. Well, I think there's another side to that as well. I think that is a a concern for people. But I think also just the security of, I would not be prepared to go do the thing that I want to try until I have served my time or I have put in my years or, you know... Uh, maybe just financially like prepared to financially prepared? Go to absolutely like, and it, it may be a european thing but some people may have heard this little mantra but like europeans work so that they can can live yeah americans tend to be more focused on their professional life and then live when they can in the remainder of their day and i i really took to that And when I was in the army, I had a commander that was really annoyed when people didn't go places and do things on their own. Hmm. So he went, because you're going to be on an entire separate continent around so many cultures uh, and things that have, have existed thousands of years before your country was even formed. He's like, and then after three years of being here, the only thing you have done is the beer festival down the road. He's like, that it would be a waste of your time. And I remember thinking, like, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste opportunities. Yeah. And I decided at a really young age, like, more than, like, financial wealth or whatever, like, I wanted to experience as much as I possibly could of the world. I would read about things. People would talk to me in about the world in school. And I always wondered, like, how could you introduce a thing to me, teacher in the Panhandle of Florida, and then never have gone there just be completely okay with staying in the same town your entire life eating at the same restaurants you've been in your entire life those things never connected with me like you're going to introduce information okay now leave me alone and let me go like I i want to go i want to go i want to go do stuff i want to see things i've never seen and experience stuff and that's stuff that brings me and my wife like just absolute joy and we try to do that with the kids. It's just it's more difficult and cumbersome, and that's an easy cop out. And it's very expensive because there's a bunch of us. But my son being born in Europe, like it's on our short list of goals, is to take at least like him back to where he was born, hmm. and that's a European you know vacation. But I, in that empty nest feeling, like that is something that I have to do for him. Like, that's, that's on my list of mandatory teaching points so that I can, when he's old enough to want to leave the house to go to college or go to wherever, I can feel like I've done my job properly. Hmm. And so it's not that I want to rush my kids out of the house. is that I want to feel satisfied that I did as much as I could when it's their time to be on their own. Right. So for me, that's it's not a sad moment like yeah it's going to be a sad moment but i think of it like a a page in a in a night like i I've, I've taught you everything i need to do it's it's your quest now like go and do all of these things that i'm trying to Im- impart on you like go make an adventure like go do whatever it is that you feel like doing i'm always going to be here because i'm your father and i love you but i feel like i wouldn't have I wouldn't have done my job right if they were content with just staying in the house and doing nothing. Hmm. So I look forward to that day as, you know, the day that they go off 
as like I did it right. Right, they're beginning their thing. Yeah, like deciding to, I can be satisfied yeah. in that huge mandate of, of my being. And then whenever they're gone, I can shed a tear. And then me and mom are getting our passports renewed. And we're getting a moat. <laughs> getting a moat. Fill it with gators. <laughs> I don't know if a gator could live in northern say, France. There, I'm not are sure. There alligators in France? No. There will be soon. <laughs> You're going to hear about it years from now in a documentary about this new invasive species brought over by some stupid <laughs> some American. Some American brought alligators to France. And it's going to be awesome. There's a title for you. Um, so this is, not, how much time do we have? 47 minutes. I'll make this quick. Since we're talking about mortality and midlife stuff, we weren't talking about mortality, but it's connected. So, um, several years ago, you know this, but I'm going to tell everybody who's not listening, who maybe doesn't know. <clears throat> several years ago, maybe 2014, 2015, something like that, I was running a marathon, and this, uh, this guy, who was about my age, I was passing him, and he stumbled, fell off to the side, and... I kind of call out to him like, hey, you okay? And he waved me off. He was like, yeah, I'm fine. And then as I went to pass him, he fell over. And so I stopped, tried to pick him up, and he died right there. And we called for medics. People came right away. There were people running who were nurses and doctors and stuff. So they came right over. And I went on and tried to finish the race not really knowing what had happened to him or like if he made it, if they were able to get him back or anything like that. So I went on and finished this race. It got cut short because it was so hot. So I didn't actually finish the full marathon. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and then I found out later on that he, he passed and it was a pre-existing condition. It wasn't, it wasn't due to him running. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine who was also a runner worked at the hospital, told me a little bit about it later on. But it really shook me, and I've talked with Josh, uh, you know, offline at the time about this at length. And so I... It seemed like so long ago. It does. It really does seem like forever ago. Um, But that, you know, has stuck with me. And since then, I've run several thousand miles, multiple races. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm not getting upset. My throat is just closing up. Um... But I've noticed after dealing with this and feeling like it wasn't anything to do with me. I just happened to, to be at an event that happened to somebody else. But I've noticed over the past maybe six months, maybe less than that, I was out running one time and I got really, really out of breath. And immediately flashed the scene, which I can still see as clear as the day it happened, of this guy going off the side of the road. And, you know, I mean, it's just a memory. It came up, and then I, like, will stop running and start walking. Hmm. And I know that I'm healthy. I know that I don't have whatever he had. I know it's not that I'm, something's going to happen to me because I'm out of breath. It's not that. It's just, like, this kind of involuntary, like, whoa, back off a little bit. You need to calm down. And, And I, the first time this happened, I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, it's never really... It's never scared me, yeah. you know? Um, and so, you know, after a minute, cool down a little bit, start running again. But then I noticed that, like, every couple of weeks, it was happening again and again. And now I'm at a point where I am, I think in general, I'm just becoming a lot more conservative about what my body is capable of. Yeah. And I think it all goes back to seeing that and just being shaken by it and just man, I don't want to push myself to a point, and I don't think I'm going to push myself to that point running. I'm not running that hard. But I think there's a, a new thing in me at my age where I'm just like, I don't want to push myself too hard because what if? Yeah. And then the other day, Josh Nava, who's a super cool guy, woodworker, works with Anna of All Trades, 36 years old, had a heart attack. Yeah. Moments from death. Like, he, they just they said he barely made it. That's crazy and scary. And, you know, again, he has like a hereditary, some sort of family thing. It's not like because his health or his, you know, lifestyle or anything like that. But the same thing happened to my brother-in-law a couple years ago. He Mm -hmm. had this heart attack and he was super healthy. He's in the gym all the time. 
And he had something called a Widowmaker. It's like common that enough that they have a great. name for it. But I think those types of things are not anymore the things that happen to my parents' friends. They're, oh, right. They're the things that happen to people who are younger than me. Yep. Not even like, you know, a little bit older. Like, Josh is, that other Josh, mm-hmm. <laughs> is younger. Like, considerably younger, younger than, me. than me. And I don't know, man. It's it's strange. It's weird to be in a place to where that stuff starts to really sink in, where I'm running and I have to stop and then remind myself, like, being out of breath is not going to kill you. It's okay to start running again. And it's as simple as that. I'm not yeah. afraid of it or anything, but it's just, I don't know, it's weird to be in that spot. I think people's core of experience throughout their life can set them up for that type of, of caution or that type of hindsight right. or comparison. And I don't know. It's, it's really strange. I remember when that happened. I was supposed to go run that race. And then I backed out because I was a fat slob and stopped running. And then, yeah, I remember that was well before. That was both when we were living in Georgia, mm-hmm. separate lives. But <clears throat> my core of experience, like I had never had anybody in my life die until I joined the Army. Hmm. Then a whole bunch of people died. And a bunch of people outside of the Army died. And then I almost died a couple times. And so to put that, like, that death is something that happens to old people was never, never in my mind. Because hmm. either death had happened to no one or death had happened to that person standing next to me. Oh. Or this person right across from me. Or that person that I love. Yeah. Or then me. Or then me again. Or then me that other time. And... I don't know psychologically or faithfully if it's healthy, but I've completely disassociated myself from death. I assume that every day I'm going to die. I assume that I am riddled with cancer. Um, when I got my, my first colonoscopy, I had to convince people like we've talked about, and they didn't want to do it, and they found precancerous polyps. I'm like, yep, done. I knew it was there. I know I'm probably going to die of cancer. I know I'm probably going to die of some stupid accident. And I don't care about it. Hmm. It, it has become, I've become so desensitized <clears throat> to death that I don't factor it in. And while I don't go blasting down a highway, I don't go skydiving, I don't go do things that are purposely perilous just because I've reached some weird, right, you're not stoic, inviting it. apathetic state. Yeah. yeah. But I try to set myself up and I try to set up the people that I love so where inevitably the random day that I die, People are not completely left out. Like I have done my hmm. my due diligence, and I you're never going to prepare people, but financially, legally, all those things, my people are prepared. If I died right now, right? I don't want to die, <clears throat> but I don't try to let that drive me. I don't have any kind of fear. I fear for my family, and I have that protective bubble around them because this is not something that they've had to face. So that mm. stoic, apathetic feeling, man, I remember the day that it happened. I remember the day that I was sitting in a helicopter and we had just, we had a hard landing. We crashed. And I remember being angry. I remember praying in that moment that I'm like, this is it. This is the time. Out of all the times, this is the time where I'm going to die. I said my, my prayer of salvation, which I had already done, but I was so confused in my faith. I felt like I had to do it the moment that I, right before I died. And then I didn't. And then another time it happened where I didn't. And I'm like, I'm tired of all of this weight. Hmm. So, like, I just don't care anymore. And again, probably just some unhealthy state. But, and the same thing with, like, my health. I try to live a healthy life. I'm fatter than I want to be, and I'm trying to make measures toward that. But I just don't care. Hmm. I've got a lot of work to do. I've got a lot of things to do. I've got a lot of things to see and a lot of people to help or a lot of people to influence or whatever that one day that's going to be over. Sure. Um, I hope it's quick. And hopefully people will say nice things about me, but I won't be there to hear it. So, (laughs) So I mean, yeah, exactly. Who cares? I, yeah, uh, John Stamos is supposed to be notified, so oh, if that yeah. can happen, that'd be great. Yeah. He's going to be very confused, but we're whatever. <laughs> it's the one thing I want. So, well, I think I, in my in my younger years, I was af- more afraid of death. 
And I don't think that's where I'm at now. So maybe I'm kind of getting towards what you're talking about in a, in a way, but I think it goes back to the frustration of, of remaining years or whatever. Yeah. Like, I think I'm just becoming more aware of, of my, what's the word? Fragility. Yeah. You know? And, and, and my mortality. I mean, eventually I'm going to run out. Right. And I think just, you know, I'm at a point where I'm seeing, I'm not seeing that, but I'm seeing that like, oh yeah, that's like a legit, like I'm not 25 anymore and I'm Mm -hmm. not going to be that young anymore. And I'm not afraid of dying, but I'm irritated (laughs) that it's down the road and I'm speeding towards it whenever it is. And there's stuff that's undone and there are things that I'll never get to and I'm going to like try to fit it all in. I'm going to work as hard as I can to get as much in, you know, in that time, whatever that time is. So I'm not being defeatist about it, but it's just, I don't know, it's a, a weird realization. And I think the with the running thing, it was more of just like the physical realization too. Yeah. And that that was yep. new, newer than the the mental realization of it all. Um, I don't know. And I didn't really have a point to any of that. It's just a a thing that's been it's new. Well, I think a know? point as a a takeaway or a call to action or people who may feel <clears throat> the the weight of their mortality is that I think that that's all the more reason to stop and take stock in what you have and what you're thankful for as well as trying to make that list of things that you've always wanted to do and that for whatever reason you haven't had a chance to do hmm. because I mean Lord willing I don't get killed walking out of this house <laughs> but I've I've tried to prepare myself and and live my life that I will have no regrets. Like it was a big thing when I went to therapy for a while about people having a lot of hangups about their past. I'm like, I don't have any hangups about my I mean I did for a while and I got over those, but it it was nothing that I could have done differently. It, all those things cumulatively <clears throat> have put me right where I am right now. Mm. I have learned from all those things. Some of them were sad, some of them were awesome. But I, I mean, I, I did as best I could. I've given myself grace. If I've messed up, I apologize. It was not on purpose. If I've done something great, it was equally probably not on purpose. <laughs> so I can't try to like, oh man, I wish I would have. Right. If I really cared that much about it, then go do it. And yep. that is from a place of like, I had to make that decision based on a bunch of scary stuff. And I actually did it. So it gave me the confidence to go like, oh, you can change your lot in life. You have to change a whole lot in life and it's very scary and you have to give up things and you have to make sacrifices. Yes, but you can you can make that change. Right. And so now I look back and I'm like, is there anything that I would want to change about if I died right now? Like, do I have unfinished Casper the Ghost stuff? I'm like, no. I'm good. My ledger is balanced. I'm going to miss people and they're going to be sad and I'm going to... You know, be sad I'm not going to see things or whatever, but I have I have tried to set everything up in my life day to day that I'm satisfied with what I've done. Hmm. I was at the daytime Emmys. <laughs> in Borch. I mean, come on. <laughs> but like, in I don't know. I don't know if it's, I think your stance <clears throat> on your mortality and the realization that certain things need to slow down or taking stock in what you still have left to do. I think that those are very healthy things. Ultimately. Yeah. I think that it is a very prudent thing as a human being to realize that you are not Superman and that the world does not revolve around you or your health or your abilities. I think that realization is extremely healthy. Uh, I, I have been broken in those weird ways where like it, the death part is not the limiting factor. I just don't care. See like a list of stuff. Italian was on there from, I mean, I started learning Italian because it was on there. Hmm. I, that was before I actually wrote the list down. But this is the thing I always wanted to do. The Carmagia, a thing I've always wanted. Somehow that's happening now. It's kind of weird. Yeah. But so I think having a list like that, maybe it's not like a, a like a life checklist of things that you have to accomplish to feel like you've done your whatever. But like thinking of all the cool possibilities, all the things that you want to do, if money were no object, time were no object, and just write it down and keep it in front of you. You may find opportunity to do some of those things when you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. You know? I think my list from a long time ago, from, <clears throat> from school reading a, a geography book or a history book, I think mine is framed as it would be cool if. 
Hmm. So then it doesn't feel like an obligation so that if I don't get to it, I have regret. And I remember thinking, and of all the cool places that I've got to see, I remember like the most fun or most enamored or I would be in a place. I would, I would think, I never thought that I would get to do this. Or I would never imagine myself in this situation. And those have always been the most poignant moments. Hmm. Like, in the stuff that, that just is fun or just, like scratches that itch about discovery. You know, I, don't, I don't think Christopher Columbus or anybody that's like, I'm going to go discover this new place. And then when you get there, it may not live up to the hype. It may not live up to your expectation. And so I try to look at... I'm a very opportunistic person. If I'm introduced to something in a book or someone tells a story about a thing, I'm like, oh, that'd be, that'd be cool if I got to go there. That'd be cool if I got to go do this thing. I'm like, that'd be super cool if I got to go wherever. And then when the stars align and opportunity allots itself, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, there was a thing that I think is cool in this one location. Let's go do that. And it creates some weird little nexus event side tangent. And then it's, whoa, I got to do it. Hmm. And so it's not following the X on the map. It's looking at the map going like, there's treasure somewhere here. Yeah. Like someone's told me that there's treasure on this map and it would be pretty awesome if I found it. And I think that that would be great. And so the same thing in, in Normandy, like it would be pretty awesome if we did that. But that's the thing we have to try to make some steps toward, which would be pretty awesome. I don't want it to detract from now. Right. And I don't want it to feel like an obligation so that if you never get to it... Right. Yeah. So then I'm a Casper ghost, and I don't want to be a Casper ghost, man. He's so cute and kind. Right. I don't want to be cute and kind. <laughs> when he changed from Casper to the human, I'm like, that's not what that dude looked like. What would I look like as a Casper ghost? Probably the <laughs> big one that talked like this. I'm like, that's not an accurate representation of who I was. <laughs> get it right, Casper. Fair enough. But I, I think maybe it's just a little more non-committal. Hmm. But things sound like when Destin made the video about going to scuba dive uh, and the tectonic plate separation uh, in Iceland. I'm like, that would be cool. That looks really awesome. That would be pretty great. And then the concept of going to Iceland went, I'm like, I could go do that thing. Hmm. And so it's trying to seize on opportunities. Right. Not that having a bucket list is bad. I think it's super cool. I don't know what I would put on it because in that mo- every day I'm, I'm, I experience some new piece of input that I think would be fun. Or that I think would be interesting or self-fulfilling. So it would constantly be changing. And some of them would be really quick. And some of them would be super long-lasting. And so I just want to try to offer... I want to try to uh, highlight the experiences based on my entire breath. Like, breath of existence. Like, I I remember this... (laughs) One time I saw the Rosetta Stone. I saw the Rosetta Stone by accident. I was in the British Museum walking around because it was hot outside and they had air conditioning and it was free. I went, oh, there's the Rosetta Stone. Like, that's pretty crazy. I did a report on that in the sixth grade, not knowing what it was. And I thought that was one of those things that was just in one ear and out the other. I'm like, I'm actually looking at that thing. Like, that's pretty crazy. Hmm. When I went to go, when I was in Iraq and we got to go to the Temple of Jonah, I'm like, well, I didn't know that this was a thing that should have been on my list. Hmm. But the opportunities and the situations that you're in present those moments that where you can connect all these little random dots and bring you that kind of joy. And I don't want to ignore those moments. Yeah. But I don't know if there's an actual list. I don't know. I I'd mean, it's, I guess it's different from having a bucket list in my mind. Maybe it's not, but of things that like, that you definitely want to check off. I think of like, you know, before I die, I have to do these things. It's not that it's more like, Mm, I don't even. I don't really want to give yeah, specific examples. Maybe I'm examples, just lazy and non-committal about no, it. No, <laughs> I think it's just like it's it's the wouldn't it be cool if thing and like man, I really hope I get to this one day. It's not going to affect anything except for me if I don't get to recording an album by myself. It's on the list. Is that on the list? Yeah. And I've see, done now that. I want to help you. I but, wanna... see, but see, I've done that before. Hmm. But I still want to do it again. But see, like getting a red Corvette, like you mentioned, the Carmagia, like that would have been on Josh's bucket list. Yeah. And then I tried to buy a red Corvette, and it sucked. It was a terrible car, and I'm like, <laughs> never mind. And like, just take that off the list. But well, but was... you did it, or you tr- almost I tried did to it. do it. Yeah, that's no. funny. All right. Well, let us know if you're listening and you have some feedback on this type of stuff. Let us know somewhere. I don't know where. We don't really have a forum for that type of thing. If you're part of the Maker Alliance, you can go on Discord and talk to us about it. 
That'd be awesome. You can reach out on Instagram to any one of us. A lot of people talk to me on Instagram about the yeah. podcast, which is very nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where can people find you on Instagram and Twitter? Josh underscore make stuff. And you can find all of us at I like to make stuff on all of the different stuff. Somebody the other day, I don't remember where it was. They left a comment that said, it's I like to make stuff on all the stuff except for Twitter where there's only one F. Like that was just the comment. <laughs> or stamps.com where it's I like to make stew. I like to make stew. God, I mean, stew is pretty good. Thick soup. Yeah. Anyway, um, thanks for listening to us ramble about midlife crises. 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 Or whatever it was we were talking about. Uh, maybe next time we'll talk about some like nerdy Marvel stuff or something. Spider-Man trailer came out. That's true. Go watch it. We'll talk about it next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. See ya. Bye-bye.